Okay, yeah. reading this morning is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 6. And in the NIV, it's entitled, Israel Speaks Arrogantly Against God. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as, the fa just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Uh, as you'll be aware, I guess from that reading, this is the, the last time we're in, we're in Malachi. I don't know how you feel about Malachi. I think... Um, for me, he's kind of hit me between the eyes in, in ways I wasn't expecting. What's the Lord saying to us? What's he been saying to you? Well, what he's saying to the people of Judah is you are not taking me seriously enough. And I think that's what the Lord is saying to the church. Um, not just our church, but, but the church in his country. I suspect that's what he's saying to his church. Uh, across the world. You're not taking me seriously enough. Um, I hear the Lord saying this um, to my heart in a variety of different ways that the book of Malachi uh, has spoken to my heart about this issue uh, more than once. But worse than that, uh, the Lord says to them, you are not taking me seriously enough and you can't see it. Repeatedly, the people are blind. The Lord rebukes them. The Lord gives them a word, and they say, no, that's not me. They think they're doing fine. How about you? But worse still than that, the Lord says to them, you're not taking me serious enough because you think I've let you down. So underline these other reasons why... Uh, you're not taking me seriously enough. 
is this, because you think I've let you down, because you uh, think that I'm uh, not showing myself uh, powerful enough because I'm um, not judging your enemies, because you think I'm not delivering what I said I ought to deliver, um, you are not taking me seriously enough. Rather than realising that it is you who have let me down rather than me who has let you down. So I was in conversation with somebody the other day and I was talking about how we live in the day of small things. Um, it's a phrase from Zechariah. He says, don't despise them at the, the day of small things. Um, but maybe there's something really wrong about that. For me to say, in a sense, that we expect let out of the Lord because this is the day of small things, um, uh, rather than saying, maybe we're seeing less of the Lord because we don't take him seriously enough because we don't have the courage uh, to bring him all of our lives um, in a wholehearted way. So what the Lord says to Judah through Malachi is stop your sickening half-heartedness. And that's what uh, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, as you'll know that from the book of Revelation 3. Uh, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Lord Jesus is here speaking to a New Testament church. He says, if, I hate lukewarmness. And he actually says, I wish you were one or the other. I wish you'd go one way or the other. If you're going to be lukewarm, but you're not really bothered about me, then just go away. And if you are bothered about me, then bring it, bring it all. And he says to them, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So he says to this lukewarm, half-hearted church, I've had enough, I'm about to spit you out. And that's pretty much uh, what the Lord says uh, to Judah um, through Malachi. I've had enough, this half-heartedness. What are the signs, though? What then are, they, are, they, uh, are the signs that... Um, you can, we diagnose this this half-heartedness with. Well, the signs are um, we could apply them to ourselves, doubt as to whether the Lord really loves you. That was the first one. Uh, the people of Judah were doubting whether God really loved them. We all come to a point where, where we doubt that. Um, but, but an ongoing um, doubt, never knowing, there's something wrong. A disrespect for the means of grace. So they have this, their mean, uh, the sacrificial system is a means by which they can come and know that they're forgiven with the Lord. And they have this as a means of grace. Um, and, and they're disrespected by bringing um, blemished offerings. So for us, the means of grace are communion, church, prayer, the Bible. You know this, and I say it over and over again. Um, but a disrespect for those means of grace, if you can't be bothered with the means of grace, what it actually says is you can't be bothered with the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. It's the same thing that's going on in Judah. And he challenged them about their unfaithfulness, whether it's actual or, or, or mental. So another sign of, of this half-heartedness is, a, is a, a, a mental, I trust there isn't actual sexual unfaithfulness, but a mental sexual unfaithfulness, a dreaming of other scenarios, which you um, play about with on your own. The other thing, the other challenge is, is complaints uh, made about the Lord rather than, uh, rather than to him. 
if you have a complaint with the Lord, you take it to him like the psalmist does and you wrestle with it uh, before him and in his presence. I'm like this. Asaph says in Psalm 73, when I came into his sanctuary, then I understood. And he understood particularly what would happen to the wicked. They're not going to get away with it. The other thing that uh, charge that the Lord makes through Malachi to Judah is that they're, they're, they're practicing as little as I can get away with giving. As little as I can get away with giving. Not just, and for us that might not be just financial, but it might be time. It might be investment in relationships. What, how much can I give um, to Stains Kong that will cost me the least, um, but I can still stay a member? So these things happen in Stains Kong? You bet you do. They, all, they happen all the time. And so the Lord returns finally, and one last time, he returns to this, uh, to these complaints that the people are, are making about me, about the way they take, and, uh, sorry, the way they speak. And he says, you've spoken arrogantly against me. Arrogantly, that's a funny word, isn't it? What's that mean? It means they've spoken uh, above their station. They've spoken in a way that judges the Lord rather than speak. I suppose the opposite would be to, to speak humbly. But again, they're blind. They say, what have we said against you? And the Lord says, you've said this. you said it's futile to serve God. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good. Um, it's pointless. It doesn't deliver the goods. It's futile to serve God because it just doesn't uh, deliver. And they're saying, why should, we, why should we keep the law? It is such a miserable um, thing to do. We don't want to go about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. But hang on a minute, didn't we learn um, from Rob? But blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over the sin. Blessed are those who are bothered um, about the state of their hearts and about sin. But perhaps most uh, painfully, they are saying um, that the arrogant uh, are blessed. We call the arrogant blessed. Uh, they're saying that evildoers prosper um, and they get away with it. They test God. They don't hide from him. Um, and, the, and the people of Judah are saying, look, particularly these Persians, there's just no retribution. There is no point uh, being uh, one of God's people uh, because it doesn't deliver anything. And, and the, the arrogant people out there, they're just having a great time. And they get away with it and God is not bothered. And I wonder whether you ever feel like that. Do you envy non-Christians? They don't have to feel bad by a moral code. They, they would like to think they have a moral code, but when push comes to shove and they want to do something different, they just put it aside. They can throw their weight around. They can be arrogant. They can be pushy to get what they want, and they do. They can be dishonest if it makes life easier, and they have the liberty to just have a good time. Do you ever feel like that? envy non-Christians and you think and the Lord because the Lord is not really bothered the Lord is not really bothered to do anything about it with them and nor maybe you say you might nor is he bothered to make our lives so conspicuously better than theirs that they know that they're in the wrong the Lord is not judging them and the Lord is not bothered to make a distinction Easy place to get to. But here in Malachi, there's another group of people. And for the first time, we meet a bunch of people who are speaking um, differently. They're not speaking arrogantly. 
Some of them have been um, convicted by Malachi's words from the Lord. You notice in the text it says they listened. Uh, those who feared the Lord talked with each other uh, and listened. They've, they've heard the preaching. They've not shrugged off the preaching. They recognize their, their uh, need to stop speaking arrogantly, um, to stop speaking words of, of discouragement, uh, speaking words of hardened heart and, and promote half-heartedness. Half uh, they come together. Uh, they talk with each other. Um, and a scroll of remembrance uh, was written in the presence of the Lord uh, concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. We don't know what that was precisely, but I guess they, they got a scroll together and they put their names on it and they wrote at the bottom, we the undersigned, um, heard the Lord convict us of our half-hearted norm this day, whatever the day was, and we commit to fearing the Lord and honouring his name going forward. And it's reminiscent of uh, the way the Lord writes our names um, in his book, uh, which is called the Book of Life. And so the names of these people um, on the scroll, uh, it's like a page out of the Lord's Book of Life. There is a book that the Lord has um, in which the names of those who trust him and those uh, who are relying on faith in Christ. Uh, alone for their salvation. And so in Psalm 69, uh, we see it, I think it's where we see it first. Um, David says to, about his enemies, may they be blotted out of the book of life. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Paul talks about it in Philippians, I hadn't noticed this before, um, when he's pleading with Euodia and, and Syntyche to be of the same mind, two women who, who, who can't agree. And he says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Those who are, uh, have trusted Christ and are walking with Jesus and love Jesus, their names are in the book of life. And of course, it, it's there in Revelation. Uh, 11, Revelation 20, Revelation 21 and in other places. Uh, John says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found in the book of life and thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life is important then. book of life is, is God's list of, uh, of who he really is. Nothing actually is more important um, to you this morning um, than whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Not all of Judah's names uh, were in the book of life. And there's no such thing as that 100% uh, perfect church. So I just call on you to examine your heart today. It would be devastating if your name, we found out on the day of judgment that your name wasn't there.
And it's important because uh, the Lord says that he is going to use this book of life, as we've just seen from Revelation, as his criterion for judgment on, on judgment day. There will come a day of judgment. The Lord says this book will be his criterion. Um, on that day when I act, he said, they, in other words, they, those people whose names are on this scroll of remembrance, um, he says, but well, they will be my treasured possession. On that day, he will look upon them uh, with favour and with affection, and, and he will say about those whose names are on the scroll of remembrance, or for us whose names are on the book of life, and say, this one's a keeper. This one is mine. Um, this one I value and I esteem. And on that day, he says, they will be my... Um, children like i will spare them as a father spares his son on that day of judgment we will be spared if our name is in the book of life because the father will say he's my son he's my daughter and i and i spare him or her for that reason this is my forgiven son this is my forgiven daughter so the book of life is fundamental because it's the criterion of judgment but for the arrogant speakers who are kind of saying that god never judges god's not bothered god's not worried about our enemies he says that surely the day is coming, but it will for them, it will burn like a furnace and the arrogant will be set on fire. This is scary stuff. Um, all the arrogance and every evil do will be stubble and that day is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Now, are they burnt up or are they annihilated? This question arose in conversation with somebody the other day. Um, there's lots of pictures where it, it seems like what happens to the if, um, those who are not in the book of life that, that they die or they're destroyed call that annihilationism that they, they, they're kind of burnt up and, and, and they're gone that's, that's, but there are other texts which imply that the fire goes on um, forever and ever without end which is one of the most terrifying thoughts I think I've ever heard um, Jesus says uh, Mark 9, just as an example, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. So the difficulty with thinking about hell is there's lots of kind of picture language and it's really difficult to understand what it's going to be like. Um, but I think on balance the latter is the, is the truer picture. It is like a fire um, that never goes out. What an awful thing, if you, people uh, in history were burnt at the stake, and it was an awful death, um, but at least it didn't go on forever and ever. What an awful thing uh, to not be in the book of life on that day. And when Malachi says that then not, not a root or branch will be left to them, um, it's not a picture that they've totally destroyed. What it means is there won't be a little green shoot. There's no way of them growing back. There's no coming back from this. Um, there's no branch from which a new bud might, uh, might grow and the under might save them. It might uh, become a, a good tree, uh, as it were. No, there's nothing left to them. There's no way back from this place. So that day, for these people, for these people who are saying, look, God does not make a distinction um, between the, the wicked uh, and the good, um, it will become blisteringly clear on that day. But the danger is that those who are saying this will find themselves on the wrong side of the equation. It's a mistake. It's always a mistake. 
um, to forget that a future distinction of people is coming because it is coming and it is certain um, and it is awful. Back to the faith, faithful speakers briefly. On that day, those who reveal the Lord's name uh, for them, the son of righteousness um, will rise. Um, it says in, in NIV with healing in its rays. We used to talk about the son of righteousness with healing in its wings. Um, uh, spot quiz, which carol does that come from? Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. It's heart the herald angels thing. So who or what is the son of righteousness? Well, Charles uh, Wesley was clear that it's Jesus. It's the, the risen Jesus. On, on that day, Jesus is like the, the, the son of righteousness. He uh, will cause a new day to dawn. After judgment day, there will then be a new world, uh, a world that is healed. Because the risen Jesus uh, uh, has returned with healing. Um, to make all things new and make and then we'll um, on that day uh, we will frolic like uh, what does it say frolic like well-fed calves don't know whether that's a, a, an image you relate to um, but on that day you'll be like a calf that's been um, cooped up um, all, all winter um, led out into the field and into the sunshine and and you will frolic um, you will bound around with joy um, in, in the new creation uh, it's a great picture and you will trample on the wicked some days sometimes we're a bit squeamish about that idea but if you've watched uh, any film in which there's a there's a villain who's been heinous in it are you not desperate at the end of the film for them to get their come up and say, I watched what I watched the other day um, Air Force One, yes, yes, um, cheesy film, uh, um, but desperate for the Gary Oldman character to get his comeuppance at the end, um, which he does, or think Shawshank Redemption or something else at the end of the film. Do we not want the film and villains to get their comeuppance? Yes, we do. There is a, there's something right about that instinct that those who um, those are evil, we should want to see them trampled down. So it's easy when it's make-believe on a film. Um, it's easy when people are obviously evil. It's e easy to think about Nazism and Nazis. It's easy if it's Al-Qaeda and you see somebody uh, decapitating somebody and you think, yeah, I wish the Lord would stamp on them. Less easy if the people closer to home. But for now then, this is the application. For now, um, Malachi says, remember the Lord, my servant Moses. In other words, practice wholehearted obedience. And this is one of the things that's challenged me in the last couple of weeks, that, that we are not under the law of, of Moses. We are under the better covenant, the covenant of grace, and not the covenant of the law. And so we obey out of love and, and thankfulness. And we're, we're, we're really thankful that we don't have to earn our salvation. But the thing that struck me is how can my thankful love, uh, my thankful obedience rather, out of love, under this um, covenant of grace be less than what uh, God's Old Testament, Testament people did under the law. Do you see what I mean? We have greater spiritual resources. We have a more intimate knowledge of the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit uh, in our hearts. And yet how then can I say, can I use that to be an excuse to say, well, tithing was an Old Testament thing. 
it, it's not a new, it's not a New Testament thing. And do less. That's not the point, is it? I have greater resources. I have a better covenant. Uh, sure, the expectation is, is that I should do more. And maybe the same with Sabbath. I'm not under law. I'm not on some uh, law, uh, I might say, to, um, to to set aside the Sabbath for the Lord. But hang on a minute. I, I'm under grace. Why would I not want to bring him more? Why would I not want to bring him better, given that I'm under a better and greater covenant? I found that a massive challenge. Something I'm going to need to think through. Maybe you need to think through it too. But what the Lord is saying to them ultimately is that half-hearted commitment is no commitment at all. He's saying to them this half-hearted commitment is not something I can bless. So briefly, Thomas Brooks, um, we've been using him to try and just diagnose our sin in case uh, to get an idea of what the Lord might be speaking to us personally in case it's something else. Um, here are two last ways of working out what is the besetting sin, what are those sins that the Lord might want to get rid of in your life? Well, he says, which sin do you take the special care to hide? Which sin do you take the special care um, to hide and cloak over? Um, I'll pretend isn't there. And this final one out of the 12 is, which sin overcomes you um, most easily? Which sin overcomes you most easily? You know the answer to that. If you don't, you should. And the final warning comes at the end of a um, at the end of the book, and the Lord says, "I will send the prophet of Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day." Of the Lord, and it's clear from the New Testament that that's John the Baptist. Um, Jesus says, um, "For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah." who was to come. Jesus himself says that John the Baptist is Elijah um, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And what Malachi sees as, as a single day, we know is, is, is in a sense two days. Um, judgment has come. The great and dreadful day of the Lord has become um, with, with Jesus coming. Um, because as he himself uh, said, um, whoever believes in him, he's talking about himself, uh, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Uh, so judgment, great and dreadful day of the Lord, in a sense has started with Jesus coming, but it will complete with his return. But at that day, his, his opportun that opportunity uh, to make sure your name is in the book of life is over when Jesus returns. What if you die before that, the moment is over for you to make sure that your name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What are you going to do? Can I plead with you today um, to make sure that your name um, is in the Lamb's Book of Life? If we, if I were to offer you uh, today a, a, a scroll, as it were, let me get a, you know, a, a blank piece of paper and say, um, today we hear that the Lord wants wholeheartedness from us under the covenant of grace. He wants us to trust Christ. Uh, and to move forward, um, would you sign it? I trust that you would. But let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have offered us the possibility to have our names written by you in the book of life. And we trust Christ. 
And today we ask that our names might be there. Lord, we ask you'll continue to unblind us um, to our half-heartedness. When it comes to us all, it is the uh, it is the nature of our age. I ask you to please keep unblinding us, Lord. We want to be people who covenant together to be wholehearted for you and with each other. Lord, we pray this will be the fruit of being locked down. When we come back together, we will be more consciously your covenant people, covenanted to wholehearted uh, obedience to you and, and wholehearted commitment to one another. Thank you for the love that's already in the church, but Lord, please um, unblind us to where we need to change. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.